This is Charlie Baker, and you're listening the to Paying Attention. Was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! <laughs> You think he's gone? He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone. Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have not been paying attention when you were just talking to me. Do you think that you could repeat the question? Sorry, I'm a little behind. No stress. Boy, am I going off today. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, man. You have no idea. Someone's upset Tom. In a big way. Ooh, you're going to get it. Like one more minute. Why won't I? Why won't this work? Must have been something in all that nothing that dropped me like a stone to the floor. And I must have missed something when you were just slamming the door. Oh, I don't mind just a little. It's driving me out of my mind. I'm getting so good at that. I know you are. <laughs> I was going to have the chief do the papa pause, but. Here they come, everybody. Alrighty, shall we start the show? If you want. I think we're good. I'm even sharing this on the Haverhill 411 Facebook page. I love those guys. Oh. Or gals, I should say, because my yeah. friend D runs it. There you go. Hi, how you guys doing? My name is Tom Duggan here at the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, it's top Two guys, Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. Got a great show for you today. I've got the retired Haverhill Police Chief, Alan DeNaro. He's been here a number of times. Um, and, you know, he's not very, very shy. So when I found out that he was retiring... I said, boy, he's never really been shy when he was chief. I bet he's got a lot of things he can say now that he's no longer chief. This is the time to get him on. This is the time. <laughs> His mic's not on. Well, that's, I, we, I didn't know we were introducing him yet. All oh, right. sorry. Go ahead. No. Yeah, I was saying I was, I'm not retired until June 30th. Oh, so you're technically still on the I job. I am still on the job. But you can still but say I am, stuff. I, I'm, I'm out of work. Right. So you can still say stuff. We'll see. Okay. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Before we get to him, uh, I, I do have one thing that I want to pass along to you because, boy, am I pissed off today. So I, I was on my way to the post office at North Andover on Main Street today, and um, I went to fill the newspaper box with the new Valley Patriot, which is out on the streets as we speak. It's being delivered. Uh, but some places aren't being delivered like the, like the uh, post office on Main Street in North Andover because the new owner of the new building uh, of the uh, post office building in North Andover, decided he didn't like the Valley Patriot news, po- news box being on the sidewalk in front of his building, as if he has a freaking say. It's on a public sidewalk. He stole my box, he stole the real estate box, and he also stole the box for the Boston Broadside. 
So I am filing a police report this afternoon. I've already lodged a complaint with the town manager. And while we were sitting here, I tried to Google to find out who this guy is because I want to call him up and yell at him myself. Because having the cops do it is fun, but it, it, it's more fun when I get to do it. <laughs> uh, I don't get to yell at people that much anymore, so this is, this is going to be... So I'm looking on Google, and I can't find it. There's all these real estate pages you have to pay to get the person's name and address. And then I thought, hey, wait a minute. The Valley Patriot has a real estate section every month with all the, all the real estate transactions. So I pulled up the Valley Patriot on my computer, typed in 131 Main Street... Wouldn't you know it? It's right there in the Valley Patriot. What a handy thing to have around. Isn't it? So the guy, so it is the 129 Main Street Realty Trust is the, now, is the owner of the building. Oh. And so after the show, I will be looking up and researching who actually owns 129 Realty, Main Street Realty Trust to find out mm-hmm. who it was that made the decision. I went into the post office and said, you know what happened in my box? And they said the new owner didn't want them there, so he took them. So even though I can't walk that good, I drove around the back of the building, got out of my car, and walked around the the uh, the dumpster that they had to see if it was there. No, they, he didn't want to put it there because I, someone like me might take it and put it back. They of actually course. threw it on a truck and threw it away. So the other thing I'm doing today is I'm driving to the dump to see if that's where he put it because I'm sure he's got a, a permit for the dump. Huh. So uh, whoever that person is, I don't know who he is. He's about to find out who I am, though. I bet. And this is this is a situation that I've run into over 17 years, maybe four or five times where somebody's so friggin' arrogant, they buy a new business, they lease a new business, they see newspaper boxes outside the, and they decide we don't want that there and they just take it as if it's there, as if they have the right to do that. And just for the record, these boxes are your personal property, is right. that correct? Uh, yeah, it's, of it's the property paper. of the Valley yeah, Patriot. Here's the funny part. Here's the best part. He might have had a defensible position, except he left the Eagle Tribune box. Oh, Oh, so I'm looking, my box is gone, the broadside is gone, the real estate box is gone, but the Eagle Tribune box is cleaned off and nice and clean and it's pushed over onto the side. And that's the one out of all of those that you have to pay for. Right. That's, I wonder if that that's has correct. anything right, to do with exactly. it. Like he thought maybe that might be somebody's real property yeah. as opposed to my box that has newspapers in it every day. Right. So, uh, so you can look forward to that. I know most people don't really care about it, but I know you guys love it when I get pissed off. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll be giving you some updates on that on Facebook later on today. Uh, the other one thing that I wanted to mention is I got a, uh, a letter in the mail yesterday from the uh, National Republican Party. Please come back. Please, we beg you to please come back. We have to stop the Democrats. They're socialists. Please come back. Never, if, if you're somebody who's running the Republican Party in any state... I will never, ever, ever come back to the Republican Party, and I will never, ever, ever give you guys another freaking dime, ever. Because you run on fiscal responsibility, and then when you get in, you stick it up the taxpayers' rear ends, and you spend and spend and borrow and spend. And I'm going to go back to what really flipped me on the Republican Party, then we're going to get to my guest. Late last year, the Republican Party had a chance to vote to give $1,200 or $2,000 in COVID relief to individuals in this country, to everybody here, Right? Mm-hmm. And they voted no. Why did they vote no? Because we're fiscal responsible. We're fiscal conservatives. We have to worry about the bill that our grandchildren are going to be are going to be bearing in in another generation or two. We can't spend this. It's just too much. And then in the next friggin' breath, they voted to send billions and billions of dollars to Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Jordan and Egypt and South Africa and every other friggin' country in the world. So you're fiscally responsible when it comes, comes time to taking care of your own people, Republicans. 
But when it comes time to sending money to other countries who, by the way, hate us and take the money and, and, and put it in their pockets and you don't monitor the money that they're getting, that was it for me. I'm done with the Republican Party. You're never getting another dime out of me. Never. After what, after what the party did to Donald Trump, like him or not, he was a Republican. After what the party did to Donald Trump, I was pissed off enough. But then when they turned around and they pulled that move, screw the American taxpayer while we're giving money to citizens of other countries, I'm done with you guys. Stop sending me mail. Stop calling me on the phone. I love Jim Lyons. He's president of the Mass Republican GOP. If he runs an event, I will give him money for a specific candidate, but I'm not giving money to the party anymore. I'm done. So you can cross me off all your lists, folks, because as bad as the Democrats are, I've determined the Republicans really aren't all that much better. So how's that for an open for the show? Fantastic. You got me riled up, and, yeah. that's, what, and that's what you... Hey, I didn't do it. I didn't throw away your, your <laughs> newspaper box. Sitting with me today, I'm so glad to have him here, because he was never shy when he was, uh, when he was uh, not retired or not, didn't put in for retirement. I just learned a few seconds ago he's technically still on the job. But he has put in for his retirement. It's all been accepted and all that stuff, right? So he's never been shy. He's, he's uh, I've asked him a couple of questions about the mayor that never really got along all that well. And he always gave us some really explosive quotes, which I love. So today, now that he's on his way out the door, he's got nothing <laughs> to lose. I'm looking for a good show, Chief. So it's a show about the mayor? Well, no, it's a show about, it's a show uh. about all the stuff that you couldn't say when you were chief. It doesn't have to be the mayor. It could be the council. Could be, it could be anything else you want to talk about. Yeah. Before we do, though, you've been, a, you've been the chief. You've been a police officer now for 44 years, you 40, said? 40, 44. Before we get into like, all the other stuff, you've seen a serious transformation in policing since you started to the current Black Lives Matter debacle that we have ourselves in today with policing. Can you talk about those changes, how, how it was when you started, how it morphed into what it is today? Well, it's, I mean, obviously things always progress through time. I mean, it, it, it happens with everything, but police work has is, is changed so much from 1977 when I went to the police academy to now, um, you know, that it's totally night and day. And, uh, you know, a lot of it has been thrown upon police. Uh, mental health has been thrown on us. We now have to be mental health experts. Uh, drug abuse. We have to be drug abuse experts. Um, Mom you know, and dad. Domestic violence counselors. You know, we, we have to um, coach children, you know, that are having problems. And a lot of these things were not necessarily in our toolkit, but we've had to adapt and evolve to incorporate those and be successful at them. Um, one of the things that came out of the protests over the last year or two was was the fact that there may be a better way to deal with the mental health issues. Bring a, bring a professional and a clinician to work with police and handle those. And, and I took uh, a captain and a lieutenant of mine down, and we went down to look at how they're doing it at the Orange County Sheriff's Office in Florida. Met with the major that runs the unit, the sergeant in charge of the unit, the clinicians and the officers. We even rode with them. And we brought back a phenomenal plan of what they do, and we have mirrored that. Um, we've gone so far as to incorporate a training component in our plan um, that uh, even got the attention of, I believe, Somerville Police, where they run a program out of there who never had a training program. And they had called us and said, you know, we'd like to sit in on the training program, which, of course, we're going to let them do mm -hmm. because we, there's no secrets in police work when it comes what, to that. What is the benefit of that? Because in the old days, someone had a mental health issue. They were being violent. You put the cuffs on him, you wrestle him to the ground, you put the cuffs on him, you bring him to court, let the judge decide if he needs to go for psychological counseling or not. Now you've got to bring like a babysitter with you guys 
and and you've got to kind of like let them do their thing, I guess, when you well, find someone Well, what happens is, is that you've got to remember when, when officers have to deal with these issues, they could be tied up for, for six hours or more. So by having somebody else come in, and, and when you say violent, a lot of times they're agitated, they're, they're at a, a heightened state, they're not thinking clearly. Who better to talk them down than a clinician or a professional who's, that's their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. They have a master's degree in that. That's what they do. So we're just basically, in our view and from what we've seen, is that this is a big jump in how we help people that have those problems. We also had two high-profile cases. We had uh, that mentally ill um, kid who stabbed a woman in the eye up, I think, off of uh, Crystal Street or Lake Street um, a few months back. And then we had another guy on Winter Street stab uh, another guy to death. Both of them were, f- were frequent um, people that we dealt with with mental illness. Mm-hmm. But nobody was really kind of coaching them, helping them, getting them into programs, you know, making sure things are okay. This program will let us do that. Um, I think I was talked about in front of council between, uh, say, January 1st and the end of March, we had over 300 mental illness cases in Haverhill alone. Mm-hmm. 300. So... Do we know, like, is that an increase or decrease? Did you track the numbers before that? Or I didn't know? check the numbers before that. And, and I would have to tell you that from my tenure here, that's a steady number. It's not, it's not like all of a sudden we're seeing mental health issues. Right. It's something we deal with all the time, but we've had to deal with it. Why do you think so many people are so nuts? I, 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 I remember when I was growing up, like, like maybe one-third or 20% of the population of people, you, you talk to them and they, you know that they've got a mental health issue when you talk to them. Today, it seems like 20% of the people out there are normal. Like, what do you think? Uh, 44 years of experience, you're an expert in human behavior because you, well, you live, breathe, eat, and sleep dealing with and reacting to human behavior. Well, I, would, I don't know that I would classify myself as an expert, but I mean, I know that a lot of people um, that we're seeing an increase due to the, the COVID craziness, I guess we'll call it for lack of another terminology. Mm-hmm. You know, people have been locked up, um, people that haven't socialized because, you know, they're, they're not around other people or people don't want to be near them. And I think a lot of that, if you are on the edge, that could push you over the edge. Over. So I think a lot of that has got to do with that. Um, another part, Tom, is that right now, People are looking at these things more closely. Before, mental illness was something we really didn't look at. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we dealt, have the police deal with it, or you know, and, and that was it. Now everybody's looking, and they're they're sensitive to it. The worst things that can happen is is that you have somebody that's that's a mental illness person, and he puts a gun up to his head, and the officer ends up shooting him and killing him. You know, what are we killing somebody trying to kill himself for? <laughs> right. And that unfortunately happens because, of, you know, sometimes we don't know what they're going to do with the gun or we right. think they're moving or whatever. Well, it's very quick to go from this to this. Uh, absolutely. Right? I mean, so we're trying to avoid those type of things. And, and if we can, and, and you know what, it's a pilot program. We're going to run it for a year. But from what I've done, my research and what I've seen, I, I just wish I, if I had a regret, my regret would be that I won't be here this time next year to see how successful the program is. Well, give us a call. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll have you on with the new chief and we'll have a conversation about it. That would be how, good. By the way, what do you think of the new chief? Who is the new chief? Whoever, whoever they, they didn't they appoint someone like acting? Oh, they, you... oh he, acting was my deputy chief, Tony okay. Hawk. And, and he he's going to take over? From retirement. Okay. And so he's going to kind of take over once you're he's, officially He's there gone. right now. He's there right now. He's a placeholder. He's there for, I think he took a six week or seven week contract until the mayor can do his search and come up with his selection for police chief. Mm-hmm. 
mayor has two solid candidates in-house. Um, I think we spent a significant amount of money, uh, and that's something you can look into, on a search, um, you know, professional group to do the search. You know, that's his choice, obviously. But um, I think you have two phenomenal internal candidates who, who are ready to kind of step in, and I'm hoping that one of them gets the nod. Well, um, you're the guy that would know, right? Because you're the guy who's sat in this job for a long time. Um, you've, had a, you've had a number of, um, of tumultuous years over the years. Um, I remember coming out and doing the story on the mold and the leak in the building because the contractor who originally did the building didn't do his job right because he was politically connected and there was all kinds of money going on. But, by the way, did anybody ever pay a price for that? Uh, no, I think the mayor dropped that. I don't believe they, anybody paid anything for That's that. That's outrageous. And, and Mil- I don't know. Millions of dollars to build a new police station. He didn't do the right job. Well, I think what ended up happening was that a, a, amount, a, a significant amount of time went by. I think they had taken all of the bonds that were left on, on the building and there was really, everybody was out of business. So there was oh. nobody to get. So, you know, I really can't blame the mayor for that one. But um, what I can blame him for is that um, this should have been done. I've been. I had a fight with him for over half a dozen years to get that accomplished. Well, I remember. I remember. And it was probably like, what, maybe eight years ago when I came down to-, to it, was, it was brutal. Take pictures. And you were screaming about it five years before that. Absolutely. And nobody, nobody ever did anything about- Why? Why? Why do these politicians- And you can speak to Jim Frontini, the mayor, specifically if you want. But in general, why do these politicians get in and allow people to rip the taxpayers off of millions of dollars and then just walk away and do nothing about it? I mean, it's, it, it's just- the- and again, it's it's how things are run, and and you know I'm not to you know the big thing I hear is that you know what the people elected me, so I'm going to do it the way you know I want, and when the people aren't happy with me, then they won't elect me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know I've heard that for 17 plus years. Right. I've been here 18 years, eight months, and 17 have been under one administration. So you know I, I do respect that to a certain extent. He he is responsible for his decisions. Some of them, you know, like I said, if I don't agree with it, then I'm very vocal about it. I you love know, that about you. Hiring police officers. I mean, we, I did a battle with his chief of staff, Ted Van Nall, at one point when he had Ted here um, over replacing our police cars. And the mayor and I were fighting, and he said, I'm going to send an intermediary down. And he sent Ted down, and we probably had eight cars with 100-plus thousand miles on them. They had license plates on holes in the floorboard to keep them. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, you know, Ted looked at me, and he said, yeah, those cars are good for another year. You know, so, and again, that was another battle, right. uh, but ultimately we were able to get those cars, right. you know, so, you know, I have to give the mayor a star for that one. Well, I, I give him no star. No, no, but then I take it away for all the aggravation right, and the fighting gonna, that we had that. to go through to get there. You shouldn't, you as the chief shouldn't have to be fighting to get, to get cars, to get manpower in a city like Haverhill. Haverhill is like Lawrence in a lot of ways. The gang problem is just as bad in Haverhill now as, as it is in Lawrence. In fact, it's probably worse now in Haverhill than it was in, than it is in Lawrence. And you've got a crime problem in Haverhill that is just as bad or at least similar to Lawrence. And your staffing is not what Lawrence is. I mean, Lawrence, Lawrence, is, Lawrence is really very well staffed right now, thanks to the, the, the new chief and the former mayor, Dan Rivera, who gave him the staffing, who gave him the money and, yeah. and got him the grants. But if you're a, if you're a police chief in a town in a city like Haverhill and you don't have the backing of the the mayor and you don't have the backing of the council, you're putting your life on the line every day and you're using duct tape to do it, right? right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I, I always ask for more officers when we do the budget, and I don't ask for twenty five or thirty. I, I don't do crazy stuff, but you know, we do always ask for no, new officers. 
you know, that causes significant friction mm -hmm. with the administration. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, my job as the police chief or the way I view my job as a police chief is when you do a budget process, it's my responsibility to put down what I believe are those things that we need to be successful at our job. Right. So I will put that down. I fully understand that because I put it down doesn't mean it's going to happen. Right. But it's my responsibility to at least put it down so that we can have a discussion about it. That also causes significant friction. Now, you had a, uh, and I'm not going to use any names because I just don't want the grief from the guy calling me, yelling at me. But you had a, an elected official who had applied for the police department, didn't get the job, and then started targeting you. How did you deal with that? I mean, when I talk to chiefs across the, the, the Merrimack Valley on, on these kinds of topics, they say it's the one thing they hate the most is when elected officials start targeting them for some political reason and they just want to do their job. Right. I will, I will tell you this, that that, that kind of was, um, was a feud that kind of brewed probably all the way back to maybe 2004 or five, and, and went on for probably close to a decade. And then at one point, um, we were at a uh, serving a Christmas dinner at the Boys and Girls Club, and we got together and, and started talking, and, and long and short of it is, we kissed and made up. Yep. And... Uh, haven't had any issues since. He's matter of fact, he's a reserve officer in Havel right now. Mm -hmm. He was appointed full time, uh, but there's some issues going on with the mayor with that, and that's something that they'll Those have politics. to figure out. Right, right, right. And he's doing a great job, or was when yeah. I left. You know, it, it, you, you touched on something that I talk about a lot in the show, so I want to highlight it a little bit more. When people have a dispute with somebody, the worst thing in the world you can do is talk about them when they're not there. You have to talk to someone. If you've got a problem with someone, you've got a dispute with somebody, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, you sit two people in a room together and you just have them talk to each other. Nine times out of ten, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, they're going to be able to resolve it. It's when people don't want to sit down with you, they don't want to talk to you because they know that they're wrong, or vice versa, and they just go out and they and they're bad mouthing you to other people. They're throwing roadblocks in your way. Did you get that from others? I, I only knew about that one case because I know the person. I mean, I, I, in my job, you're always making tough decisions. Everything you do can't make everybody happy. So that happens. But for the most part, I'm not looking for any more enemies, Tom. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had enough enemies in my life. And if there are things I can do to correct, correct, correct some of those confrontations that I've had, then, then I try to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, life's too short to be carrying 50 enemies around all the time. Right, so, right. I try now, to do that. Now that Sometimes I can't, right. but I try. Right. Now, that, now that you're retiring, have you given any thought? I know like Methuen's looking for a new police chief. Have you given any thought to like going somewhere else for a little while? Do you remember when you started this whole thing and you said 44 years? <laughs> yeah. What do you want me to do? 54? Would 60 be enough? Listen, when a guy like the flag, you, The white flag is up. <laughs> I respect what most people don't respect, and that's life experience. And with someone like you who's gone through 44 years and seen the transition of policing, seen the transition of how you're dealing with the public, seen the difference in the attitudes of the public toward policing, you would be exactly the kind of guy, if I was the mayor of a community, that I would want to come in for maybe four or five years to stabilize my department um, you know, before I can get somebody permanent in there to, to, to do the job. Well, that's what happened here. When I, I, know you, I don't think you were with the paper in 2002 when I got hired. Right, yeah, we started in 04. But if you go back and look, the articles in Eagle Tribune before I got here, officers threatening other officers, and officers not coming to work, and officers sleeping on the job, and officers- There was officers a fist fight in the station one day. Fighting, officers lying. Um, the, the, part, the city didn't have confidences department. Um, they had issues with prior chiefs. And, and I came in, and um, I, I'm very proud of the fact that 
as I'm going out the door, we're known as a professional department. We're known to be hardworking. Uh, we're known to use technology wisely to assist us in doing our job. I mean, these are all things. Professionalism is important. Um, all our equipment now is top notch. We don't have license plates stapled to floorboards or anything else. I mean, so we've we've upgraded this department training. We do training all over the country. I send officers for training and have for the last 20 years, mm -hmm. 18 years, and I do it with narcotics funds. So it's not costing the tax. Somebody will say, well, that was a great training, but you had to go to Phoenix for that training. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And we used federal forfeiture money to accomplish that mission. So it didn't cost the taxpayer a penny, right. whether it be a plane ticket, a hotel, a meal, you know, so we've used our drug money wisely to go out and be able to do things or to buy equipment or, or that type of thing. So training has been a very important part of, of our, of our job. Uh, customer service, number one, mm -hmm. you know, and that's something we, we pound into every officer from the day they get on the job till the day they leave. If you're not treating people like you want your mom, your grandmother, your sister, your brother, or your dad treated, then we have a problem because everybody needs to be treated with respect and dignity. And your job is to not put a Band-Aid on a problem. It's to resolve the problem. And our officers do that. How does the federal forfeiture work for most people who probably don't know? Is it when the federal government seizes property, seizes money from drug dealers, they then make it available to the locals, or is it what the locals no, take it's, in? Um, what happens with the federal forfeiture program is officers that are assigned to federal task force may be involved in what I call significant federal investigations. Uh, it might be a cartel they're looking at or some type of drug running organization or some organized crime thing. And what will end up happening is, is as a result of that investigation, they will seize drugs and proceeds. They may seize money. They may seize cars or jewelry that was gotten with ill-gotten gains. They may seize a house that they were using as a stash house. And what happens is it goes to the federal system. Um, it's a federal arrest. Federal agents go to court. They then, the U.S. Attorney's Office will petition the judge for a forfeiture. The judge will then rule on that forfeiture and say there's... 10 departments involved, when everything's all done, you know, you might get 1%, 2%, 3% of whatever is left. And that's how federal okay. forfeiture works. So, so it's not coming from the taxpayers. It is coming from the bad guys, which is good. I think it's actually ingenious to take criminals' money and use it to help police departments because- How I mean, many cars how I bought? I, I bought so many police cars, <laughs> detective cars, unmarked cars, uh, you know, with, with that type of money mm -hmm. because we don't have, uh, you know, we just don't have the means. If, if I'm going to fight for something, it's going to be, you know, employees. I'm not going to try to really draw the line in the sand on things I could buy with forfeiture money. Okay. Is there any restriction as to what you can do with yeah, it? Yeah, there's a number of restrictions. I mean, you, you can't hire full-time employees with it, and, and uh, you can't supplant your regular budget items. For instance, okay. the mayor cannot come to me or council can't come to me and say, you know, I see that we're putting five police cars in the budget to replace. Use forfeiture money. They're right. not allowed to do that. It's right. The way the statute's written is it's under control of the police chief, so... That's a good thing. What um, what was your favorite part of the 44 years of being a police officer, or being a police chief in Haverhill? Oh, in Haverhill. I, I would say one of the most, probably the most satisfying things for me is, is just watching the transformation of this agency from when I came. You know, and there was a there was a joke when you know when I came here. You know, you would ask somebody if it was Monday, you'd say what day it is. They'd say Tuesday. You know, and and we don't have that type of mentality anymore. Our officers are very upfront and honest. They're very ethical. And you know, for me, 
if I have to leave a stamp someplace I've been, that's the stamp I want to leave. Right. You know, the people can walk in that front door of the police station and they're confident that they're going to get the type of service that they deserve. So I'm looking at your crime stats that we published last month in the Valley Patriot, thanks to Eric Spagnoli, our, uh, our fine, fine uh, intern reporter. Um, and according to this, you had uh, just total crimes overall, total of, of the Tier 1 crimes. You had a 1,366 three years ago, two years ago, 1,421. Last year, 1,225. So it's going down. So obviously you guys are doing something right. Or is that the national trend? Well, I mean, it, it, the trend is down, but there are departments that are up. You know, I, I never... Yeah, obviously Minneapolis is up. Right. I mean, right? One, one of the things, you know, uh, and, and a big thing is that, you know, I, I, I never take credit for the crime stats because they're, they're unpredictable. And you know what we, what we do is we, we have strategies in place to address crime. But you never know. I mean, for instance, you could have a heroin addict go out, and we've had this happen, and it'll take us two or three days to catch him, and he does four burglaries right. or robberies in those two or three days. And the stats go crazy, especially with robberies. I mean, you might have eight robberies for the year, and all of a sudden in February, you got a guy strung out, and he hits four gas stations or he hits the right. 7-Eleven. One and right away, you, you, and that happens on occasion. So you got to be very careful with, with how you kind of interpret numbers as to – how they work. So what I try to do, and, and here's the thing, Tom, I could get up and I could tell you like, you know, some people will put out press releases, you know, crime is down for the last 10 years in Haverhill and 32% overall. If your son or daughter's bicycle was stolen off the porch last week, does that mean anything to you? Not a thing. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't believe in doing that. Okay. I mean, I brag you're about only, our you're officers. Li- you're literally the only chief I've had on here that, that has said that. And it says that you don't take any credit for at all for the crime numbers. I don't take any credit for, for the great work our officers do either. I mean, that's that's all them. It's not me. I mean, it's them. I mean, we've well, had officers that, you know, train stops. Last stop in the Haverhill from Boston. A weekend night. Couples on the train. They must have been drunk. They fell asleep. Last stop. They wake you up. Get off. Phones are dead. They got no money. They got no credit cards. An officer... Goes in his pocket, calls an Uber, and gets them back to Andover. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had officers take money out of their pocket, put people in hotels that are homeless, buy them meals. I mean, and those aren't things that I've instructed them to do. Right. These are things they do because they have a servant's heart, and they want to see these things accomplished. And these aren't the things you see on CNN either, no, right? Because on no. CNN, cops are jackbooted thugs who gun people down for fun, especially black people. Right. Um, we had a, a, a short conversation, I think, the last time you were here about this whole um, narrative about police officers and the Black Lives Matter situation. Now that you're on your way out the door, you're, I think, a little bit more free. What are you thinking about all this stuff? Is, well, it, is, it, is, it, is it really as bad as people like me make it out to be? Because I make it out to be pretty bad. You know, I, I, you know I, I, I'm not in their position. So it's hard for me to tell you what they experience, what they feel. But what I can tell you is that what happens in Minneapolis or what happened in South Carolina or some of these other places is not indicative of police officers across the country, especially Massachusetts. Massachusetts is, is the new police reform, I believe, is tougher than what Minneapolis or what Minnesota did for the whole state. Massachusetts is tougher. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm, I, I don't get it. I mean, we haven't had those problems here. Right. And, you know, we are... It's very frustrating. It's we're having a hard time 
recruiting officers. We're having a hard time keeping officers because, you know, they're, you kind of get downtrodden after a while. You feel beat up and, you know, we want people that are in here that want to do their job that aren't afraid to do their job because they're going to get sued for something, even if they're right type of thing. So it's made it a big challenge for us. How hard, how hard is it? uh, Because I have a lot of friends who are cops and they complain about this all the time. Everywhere these cops go, someone's got a camera phone. And everything that they do, and, and when the camera phone goes on, it's usually not when the guy's punching them in the face. It's usually when they're punching the guy back in self-defense. And, and is that something that's frustrated you over the last few years? Because it seems like all my cop friends are really upset about it. Well, it's something that, that we've had to get used to. I mean, 20 years ago, there was no, you know, people weren't walking around with camera phones right. and all kinds of stuff. But now, it, and the good thing is that we have a new generation of police officers. They think I've hired... Um, I think I've hired over 70 police officers since I've been there. And I'd say in the last four years, I probably hired 35 or 40. And this generation grew up with the phone in their hands. They grew up with the cell phone. They grew up with the camera. They grew up with texting. So for them, it's second nature. They, they understand it and, and they work with it. Mm-hmm. You know, for salty dog like me, who really never grew up with a camera in my face all right. the time, it's a little, you know, a little unnerving, you know, right, right, sure. because you want to make sure that the whole story gets out. And as right. you know, the whole story almost never gets never out. Never gets out. You, um, you did the one thing, you, you committed the one, and I still like you because you're my friend, but you committed the one sin that I can't forgive. Let me guess. Can I guess? Sure, go ahead. Transcription on my radio. Yes, encrypting. Oh, the what radio. a surprise. How did I figure <laughs> that one out? Do you regret that? I do not regret it for, for basically for um, for officer safety reasons. That was why we did it. You know, when we started showing up at search warrants and they had scanners listening to our radio, um, that was a concern because um, then they're prepared for you when you come. And if they're deciding they're going to fight, it could be a, it could be a death. But and don't you already didn't you already have a scrambled channel for such things? Uh, every 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 department oh. has a scrambled channel for the detectives if they're going in to do a. A raid if they're... Tom, that was another battle. I had to spend... I spent over, I would say, close to a million dollars replacing our antiquated radio system, and that was a five-year battle. I mean, the system didn't even work half the time. It it was falling apart. I'll take that over an encryption. So we got the new system, but that comes with the encryption. The whole thing came together. It was a a package. So um, we ended up getting a... a, uh, Marty Meehan, I believe, was the... uh, congressman at the time and we even got an appropriation for about three hundred thousand dollars to replace the radios because radios has nothing to do with your your back end right so i mean we were able to do the whole thing get it replaced eventually i think the fire department got theirs replaced but i mean it, it was a uh, it, it was necessary there's the, the biggest chief nightmare for any police chief is having to knock on somebody's door and tell their husband or wife that they're not coming home especially if it's something that it could have prevented by right. scrambling a radio. Right. And, and again, you don't know that that's the case, but you know what? But For I, me, I sleep better at night. I still go back to every department had a scramble channel. Several, some, Lawrence had three scramble channels. Um, so that if they, for example, if they get a call and, they, and, they, and someone calls and says there's a party next door, it's too loud, they show up. And when they show up, there's no, there's no music. They go, oh, they must have had a scanner. Then they get a second call and they go back and they can hear them turning it down as they're pulling it up because they got a scanner. Right. The third time you go to the scramble channel and say, all cars get to this address, they don't know you're coming back again. So there's no need for the encryption. It seems to me that public safety seemed like it was an excuse for something else. Okay, but just let's use the example you just gave. Sure. Do you know how much manpower you just wasted 
three times to the same call. Mm -hmm. We like to go, and that's what we express on our offices, go once, handle a call. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going and it's shut down, and I got to go back again, and it's shut down, then I got to go a third time. I don't have the manpower for that. What about the transparency issue? I don't want to belay this. Oh, no, that's okay. we, we don't agree, but I know there's a lot of sure. people out there who might agree with you or me. What about the transparency issue? As a member of the public, as a member of the press, I want to know what our local cops are doing. We're hearing all over the country on CNN and every channel that the cops are a bunch of jackbooted thugs. They're out there abusing their authorities. And at the same time, you're putting cameras out in the neighborhoods to watch what's going on in the neighborhoods. Right. We can't watch you. We can't supervise you as, no. our, as our employees, as our representatives. We can't, we can't follow what you're doing on regular calls to know, you know where you guys are and what you're doing. Sure you can. You just can't do it real time. You can FOIA request anything. You can FOIA request our transmissions, our cameras. You have the ability to do that. You just can't do it real time, mm -hmm. which I understand you know, for a news person, a news reporter, that's inconvenient because you want to be able to go while it's going on. Right. So I understand that. But as far as the general public is concerned, they have the ability. There is transparency there. It might not be convenient transparency. Right. But there is a, a level of transparency that is available. What about the idea of taking your calls and putting them online, like, after they're done? Like, say, every five hours you, you post your, 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 your radio calls from the last five hours so that people like me, at least for tomorrow's news, can go, okay, well, there was a shooting we know on Lafayette Street, and you know we don't know what happened, but a few hours from now, I can go on, I can listen to the call, I can listen to what happened, and I can write a news story and inform the public. So you do get our daily logs, right? Uh, I mean, they email them right to you. All you do is get on the list. I, you send, we I, I send don't. you our daily log with all our calls. That'd be great. We, we have, do that. Uh, that's great. For transparency's sake, that's great. We even I, do it for that. shoddy papers. So oh, okay. We'll, we'll, right. You know, we'll, we'll be happy to, okay. you know, get you on the list okay. of, of you know, accurate reporting papers. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's ever complained about the accuracy of our papers before, though. I have not. No. I right. have not. Very, very good. Um, you guys are very accurate. We, we've always tried. And anytime anybody's called us and said, gee, we think you maybe get something wrong and it doesn't happen that often, we always look into it. If we're wrong, we'll correct it. Because the only thing I really care about is that my readers have the right information and that they know if we give them something that turns out to be wrong, we will correct it, as opposed to the Tribune and some of the other papers where they get something so blatantly wrong that it's actually like harmful to somebody. And even when you show them that they're wrong, they, they don't. Right. How long has that been up that says time's up? I'm sorry. I it just went up. It just went up. Okay, went up. All right. okay. just okay. went up. You can um, wind down. <laughs> uh, a couple of minutes? Yes? If you need to. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you that wasn't a happy look on her face. <laughs> okay. right. I, I get gotcha. So I'm always happy. No. As as you as you're going, what do you want to do from here on in? What do you, what is it that you're looking to do? I mean, I'm sure like, when I retire, I want to be on a beach somewhere in the Bahamas. Right. A lot of guys who are police officers say they want to do that, but they end up going into right. consulting and right. other stuff. I mean, right now, I I, I'm, I want to take about six months and decompress. Right. Because you know your your stress level goes from here, and you don't even realize it to here. Right. And I, I want to enjoy that for six months. And mm -hmm. then at that point, I'll figure out, you know, if I'm antsy. I, I, I hope I'm not. 44 years, I, I don't know that I want to work anymore, right. you know. But we'll see. Right. You know, maybe I'll volunteer. Maybe I'll go work, at, you know, at a church in a food kitchen two days a week or, you know, a food bank or something else. But I, I, I really am not looking. I'm definitely not looking for another full-time job. So, I mean, it's – and even part-time, it would have to be – if I did something part-time, it would have to be my days, my hours when I wanted to do it type of thing. And those jobs aren't jumping off the tree right at you. Right, so right. I, I don't anticipate, you know, really um, finding something unless something just drops in my lap and, 
but I want at least the six months, Tom. I, I, I need to... Yeah, you need to go fishing, go lay on a beach somewhere. I want to see all the national parks and do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this, this is a great country, and sure. there's so many things to see here. You know, forget about going to Europe. I mean, go check our country out first. Sure. So I'd like to do that and see what happens. Um, Maybe then I'll put my toes in the sand. Yeah, but please, try that us, please and hopefully you'll come back, right? Sure. We, want, we want you to come back to talk about stuff, because as things happen, we know we'll be able to ask you. You'll give us a real answer. I could be your expert uh, witness. Absolutely. That'd be great. Um, is there anything you want to leave the people of Haver with? We shared this on Haver 411, um, and hopefully a lot of people will jump in later on. I know during the day they usually don't, but um, we get a lot of people watch afterwards. Is, is there anything that you want the residents, as you're, as you're leaving, is there anything you want the Haver residents to know about the safety of their community, the dangerousness of their community, um, you know, what, 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 their biggest, what their biggest fear should be for crime in Haverhill or not? Well, I, I think we'll take it full circle. I think right now is a unique time in, in, in Haverhill because there's a new police chief that's going to be appointed. And I think the public needs to demand, want, and, and monitor that they're going to get a police chief who is not a yes man or a bobblehead. Right. You need somebody who is going to, when it needs to be said, is going to say those tough, uncomfortable things, whether it be to counsel, the mayor, the paper, whoever, that, you know, gets the point across for the public, for the officers, for the elected officials. He needs to be able to do that. If you put somebody in there who is just going to be a yes man, um, I I truly fear that the department will start slipping yeah, backwards. Yeah, it falls apart quickly when you've got somebody Absolutely. in there that's just... The officers lose respect and faith also. I right. think one of the reasons that I've been successful is the officers might not always agree with me, especially if I discipline somebody, but they know I'm not in anybody's pocket. Right. And they know that I'm going to... If the dog died, I'm going to tell you the dog died. Right. No offense, not anything. This dog over here. We love Murphy. <laughs> He's referencing the studio dog Murphy, my dog. My, my, last, my, last, question, my last question is this because we're way over time. Um, in Methuen, they, they commissioned a study of the police department. They commissioned a, an audit, like a, a management audit of the police uh, department. When the management audit in, the mayor of Methuen didn't give the chief, didn't give him the benefit of any doubt and call him in and ask him to go over the report to see what's right about this. Maybe it's something that they got wrong. There's a, like, a reasonable explanation for it. And it also seemed like that, that, that report seemed to be all based on what the officers told them, right? What, how they felt about certain things and what they thought about certain things. Was that fair? Was that something that you would put up with if you were a police chief and your mayor was going to go by a report but wouldn't even listen to what you had to say about what might be right or wrong in the report and just and then put you on leave? And, and, and Here's the thing, and, and, and I really can't speak on Methuen because I don't work there, but from my experience, what I see... When a, when a study is commissioned, it would be, for instance, if Tong Duggan Incorporated um, hired a commission to do a study for you because you're having a problem with a particular employee, they're going to basically craft that study around what you want said and done. Exactly. Because you're paying them, right. and then when they want to get another job in another city, that mayor or, or, or city manager or council is going to say, I'd like to see some of your work. Right. You know, and if that work doesn't, support what they sent you for in the first place they don't want you to come in and say oh you know what by the way yeah there's some things wrong here but only 30 percent of them are the chief's responsibility 70 percent you can't hold them for they don't want to hear that right they they want it they want it piled on 
so that their position is is cemented and they can, in their minds, righteously do what they want to do. Right. So I don't have a lot of faith and confidence in the whole, we're going to come in and do a, a chief study. If the chief is that bad, you know the chief is that bad, and you don't need a study. Right. You don't need a study. Right. Just take them out. I think what bothered me was the chief was called into the mayor's office. The mayor of Lawrence, of all people, was sitting there. The mayor asked him to turn over his gun, put him on leave. And most mayors would maybe call the chief in and say, let's go over the report first. Let's find out what information in here. Maybe there's something in here that can be explained. Maybe there's something in here that's not your responsibility. Go over it. And then that way, get down to what's actually wrong. Have you seen the report? So you can fix it. I have seen the report. Right, I haven't it's seen ho- it. It's so, horrible. So I don't know, but I mean... My, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's not real. My big thing is it's very... Um, unconventional to have another mayor or another police chief from another city sitting in that room, you know, when you're doing that type of stuff. I don't know what the the thought process was or the mindset. Um, I'm sure it was a very difficult situation, you know, not only for the city, but for Joe himself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of feel for him for that. Um, I I feel for the Lawrence chief that got called into something that has nothing to do with Lawrence and that awkward, awkward situation. Oh, it's horrible. But that's just a failure of leadership on what I think. Well, yeah, I can't disagree with that. Uh, excellent. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Thank you. You're a good guy, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Alan Denaro, he's the retiring police chief in Haverhill, Massachusetts. If you follow Haverhill 411, thank you for, for joining us. We've shared it on the page. If you've got any questions for the chief, send me an email. I'll be happy to pass it along. We'll try and get it answered for you. And, of course, because of this interview, we're going to write up a story about some of the answers that we got, and we'll, that'll be in the next Valley Patriot. You can roll that up, Chrissy, I think. We're way, way, way over time. I never got a chance to thank my sponsors. I'll thank them during this during the Melvin Taylor song. I want to thank McLennan Real Estate Century 21 on Broadway in Methuen. We also love AFC Urgent Care uh, in North Andover in Methuen. We love Lisa Williams. She will be back in the next couple of weeks. Marsan and Son Construction. Now's the time. It's really nice out. Call Marsan and Son Construction for all your construction needs. EIS Investigation and Gun Training. Borelli's Deli, where I'm going right after the show. Actually, not right after the show, because right after the show, I'm going to Tomo's to get some sushi right down the street. And it's right across from Happy Crab. Free plug for them. Uh, Angelo over there uh, at a Auto Body, a free plug for him. Teddy Fairburn, workers' compensation attorney in Methuen. Give him a call. If you don't have the number, send me an email. I'll give you his number. HS Investigations. And my buddy, Dave Consoli, at Pleasant Valley Landscaping. He's not built. He's not, not taking any new business until January unless it's a small construction wow. project. But they're supporting the show, and we love him for it. Alan DeNaro, uh Retiring police chief, thanks for coming in again. Thank you for having Chrissy, me. Chrissy, my fine, fine producer, you did a great yeah. job again as usual. Thank you. Sounded like Melvin Taylor said we got to go home, so go home already. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.